Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it will encourage you and help you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. I want you to join with me and open your Bibles. If you have your devices, turn to 1 Peter. If you have a physical Bible, why don't you join me right now? Hold up your physical Bible real proud and happy, and then flap around as many pages as possible so I can hear them as you turn to 1 Peter with me. As we go into today's message, I just want to remind you of why 1 Peter was written. As you saw in that little bumper video there, Peter is writing to groups of new believers scattered across what's modern Turkey today who are feeling enormous pressures mounting against them, social pressures, cultural pressures, political threats, and they're beginning to wonder, have we gotten off track? Should we change course? Maybe this Jesus thing wasn't right. Maybe we haven't got it figured out. They don't know what to do. And so with the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, St. Peter writes a letter that's meant to travel from city to city to city through the region to speak words of encouragement to them. And essentially, if I could summarize 1 Peter into three words, he's telling them, withstand by witness. Withstand by witness. The reality is the message to 1 Peter and to the context of that day speaks with great relevance to us in our day in the Western world today as well. I want us to think about context really quickly. Again, this is a little bit of recap if you missed last week, and for those of you who were with us last week, we're just going to refresh our memory a little bit as we move into today's text from 1 Peter. The context that was theirs of this early church in first century Turkey was this. The government held absolute control. Like, for real. (laughs) It wasn't just sort of like, we think they have too much control. No, they had absolute control. So that had influence, significant influence on the people and on the land. Secondly, it was a very polytheistic environment. Everybody had gods of all kinds. And so obviously that that, that presented some sort of a challenge to the Christian message of Jesus. However, it also presented an opportunity because the populace, the whole populace, believed firmly in an unseen realm. It was... It was obvious to them. Uh, That's very different than our day and age today, isn't it? Thirdly, it was a pre-Christian environment. This is going on in the first century. If you study history, Christianity, which started with Jesus and then 12 ragtag followers who did their best to try to figure out how to follow the way of Jesus into their world, multiplied his movement. And hundreds of years later, it actually overtook Rome. As hard as Rome tried to stop it, It overcame the power of Rome itself with its influence of Christ. Here's something, though, that you need to know. There's a lot of times that we can point back in history and think, wow, look at the influence that the church ended up getting in Rome. Wow, there was even a Christian emperor. Isn't that amazing? But somewhere between the first and the fourth century, something deeply wrong happened in the Christian church. They knew their assignment was like the assignment of Jesus, to bring God's kingdom to earth. But somewhere between the first and the fourth century, they stopped looking to Jesus as the example of how to bring the kingdom 
to earth, and they started looking instead to politics and government as the way to learn how to bring the kingdom of God to earth. So what did that produce? It produced what I shared last week, uh, a growing movement of this new thing that God never intended on earth called nominalism. This sense of just coasting along in faith where it doesn't really matter, it doesn't mean a lot, and you don't have to do anything. It's just sort of checking off a few boxes, uh, getting your name in the right category along the way. Essentially, the church became um, something that was all about maintaining institution and maintaining control. Instead of being the movement of witnesses on the mission of Jesus love. Somewhere between the first century and the fourth century, the church forgot about John 13. Jesus demonstrating the fullness of his love by taking off all his outer garments, getting onto his knees, grabbing a basin and a towel. When nobody was in the room to serve the disciples, it was Jesus who got on his knees and said, I will take the role of the slave of the servant, and I will wash your feet. Somewhere between the first and the fourth century, the church forgot that that's what the king of kings looks like. Somewhere between the first and the fourth century, the church forgot that the cross and Christ on the cross and the empty tomb was what our king is known for. Somewhere between the first and the fourth century, somebody had a, an imagination, you know, some sort of idea that, well, you know, the emperor sure seems to have a lot of power and influence. What if the kingdom began to look a little more like that? And so it led the church off course into history. Now, we don't have time to unpack all that that meant and what that became, but fast forward from that past history of the few first hundred years and then 400 years of the church to our context today. If the first century uh, churches in Turkey were experiencing the realities of those three things I just shared with you, absolute control known by government, polytheistic environment, a pre-Christian environment, here's what we are experiencing right now in 21st century Canada. Three primary things. We are in a post-modern environment, we are in a post-Christian reality, and we are in a secular reality. Yes, I know that our nation somewhere in its history has been known as a Christian nation. Yes, I know that we have scriptures embedded into the history of the forming of our nation, that he shall have dominion from sea to sea. Have you ever watched a hockey game and then the anthem singer switches, you know, swaps out God for love? Love, keep our land instead of God, keep our land. You know, I've had those moments where I watch that. I'm like, oh, no, like, okay, yes, God is love. So technically that's still cool and okay, but why are you taking God's name out of this? That's me struggling with the reality of change in our country. It's me thinking, but no, we should still force all the Canadians to sing about the God that I believe in. But that gets dangerously close to this idea that the way the kingdom of God comes in Canada is through scriptures embedded in historical documents and anthem language, and that's not how the kingdom comes. The kingdom comes when we take off some outer garments, get on our knees, and serve broken, difficult people. The kingdom doesn't come when we rant and rave on social media. It advances when we find broken, difficult people 
that we don't want to love or serve or like. And we love and we serve and we, li- we like them. That's the way of the king. That's the way of his kingdom. We must accept that Canada has become post-Christian and secular. And I know for some of us, as I say that, as you hear that, it's an uncomfortable thing. You're like, oh, but I don't want to accept that. And I've felt that too. But here's the thing. When we accept that, it doesn't mean that we endorse that or that we have given all hope up for our land or for the Comox Valley or for our neighbors. We're just saying that, hey, maybe it wasn't about just having certain language in our anthem or certain scriptures inscribed on a document or on a building somewhere in our land. Maybe it's actually about personal relationships with Jesus Christ and more and more people discovering him that way. Maybe it is about the movement of Jesus that we saw unfold in the gospel and throughout Acts that was really earthy and really organic and move through real people's lives in everyday life. We cannot expect Canadians or Canada to be like us. Yes, it's uncomfortable the more they become post-Christian and secular. Yes, it is. But we, it's not right for us to expect that they should be like us. We cannot blame the darkness for being dark, but we should ask, where is the light? Where is my light. It's easy to ask, where is the light? And then point a finger at a church that should be doing more or a ministry that should be doing more. But we should allow the finger of the Spirit to point towards us and just, where's the light in your neighborhood? Where's the light in your workplace? Where's the light in broken family? Where's the light? So into, into the context of first century Turkey and into 21st century Canada, Peter, as we looked at last week, says this. You've come into a new birth, which was his way of saying there's a new citizenship that's actually more real than whatever your passport says. You have a reality that you're anchored to that is heavenly. Live like it. So we spent a little bit of time thinking about citizenship last week. This week, I want us to think about the reality that us as stranger things in this world are aliens. We're aliens. I was talking with my sons uh, this week about the book of First Peter, and I was just like, isn't it funny how often Peter goes out of his way to use this kind of language? Several times he front loads his writing in his five chapters with the repetitive use of this idea of we are strangers, we are aliens, we are foreigners, we are exiles. And it's worth us thinking about. Strangers are aliens. I want us to look at really quickly three things that we see in First Peter that point this out. Can you see it behind me? Yeah, you can. Great. As aliens and strangers in this world, First Peter 2.11, 1 Peter 1.17, 1 1, live your lives as foreigners here. First Peter 1.1, 1, 1, you are strangers in the world. It sure makes us sound like we don't fit in, right? And there's this unique tent- tension that exists in First Peter where it's like, hey, it's not about trying to fit in. Don't try to fit in for acceptance. But then it's as if Peter, as we'll discover through this book, actually gives gestures of, but wait, fit in for witness. Don't bend bend on moral or ethic or faith, but build relationship. Bless and love people. Fit in for the purpose of the gospel. Fit in. We have to face two different things, or two things in this reality of our our alien existence here on earth. Number one, we have different lives. Number two, 
we have a different purpose. I want us to spend the rest of our time this morning thinking about these two things. We have different lives, and we have a different purpose. And I, I know that you're, most of us are used to this as like good churchy language where we're like, well, yes, we have different lives, and yes, we have different purpose. But I want us to actually consider what that means. It will mean at times that you and I will feel strange. We will feel marginalized. We will feel discriminated against. And many of us, we don't like that feeling. And Peter knows this. So he's writing to the first church then. And through the Holy Spirit, he writes to you and I in Comox and the Comox Valley today to say, you need to expect that you're going to live different lives. You need to expect that your purpose is different than others in the world. So let's think about different lives for a little bit. What is our alien life like? How is it different from your neighbors, from your coworkers, from people you go to school with? How is it different from other kids at Isfeld or Highland or Vanier? How is it different? I think there's an important clue for us to discover in the book of 1 Peter. It's the word therefore, the English word therefore in the NIV translation. It shows up in four primary parts. There's an additional one you can find if you like. But four of the times it seems to be connected to answering the question, what does it mean to live an alien life in this world, or what does it look like to live this alien life? So I want us to look at the four therefores together. So turn with me to chapter 1, verse 13. Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, number one, prepare your minds for action. I want us just to listen to what Peter has to say. This is him describing our lifestyle as aliens and strangers in this world. Prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given to you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy, for I am holy. Big language there, be holy for I am holy, sounds like a pretty heavy thing. Peter is quoting the book of Leviticus. I want you to hear something. I referenced last week one of the books that's helping me through this series called Everyday Church, which is about gospel communities on mission, and a lot of it is anchored in the book of First Peter. And they pick up on Peter's reference to Leviticus. How many of you have tried reading Leviticus before? Anybody loved reading Leviticus? Put your hand up way high because we need you to lay hands on all of us after the service. I mean, if you need some entertainment, if you want to <laughs> go bald faster, if you want to welcome a disorder to your life just because of confusion, read Leviticus. It's really complicated. I like the take these authors, Chester and Timmons, offer on the book of Leviticus and how it connects here to this idea of be holy for I am holy. Listen to this. Leviticus is intended to create this distinctive people by shaping every aspect of life, individually and corporately. It was not just about what people did in the temple, it was about what they did in the market. This holiness knows no boundaries. It defines our friendships, our marriages, our work, leisure, finances, and our politics. Holiness is as much about what you do on Monday morning on the factory floor as it is about what you do on Sunday morning in a church gathering. Holiness is as much about the kind of neighbor you are as it is about the kind of church member you are. Holiness is as much 
about who you are when you are holding the steering wheel as it is about who you are when you're holding a Bible. Like Leviticus, Peter is going to spell out what it means for the church to be distinctive in every area of life because the headline is, Be holy because I am holy. Be distinctive because I am distinctive. The word holy, for some of us, it's a majestic word filled with splendor, and then for others, it maybe has a lot of baggage, and we're like, oh, be holy. And holiness just sounds like such a burden and such a chore. At the end of the day, the word holy in Scripture means set apart. God is set apart. He's set above all of creation, but then he gifts his followers a gift of holiness and sets us apart. How many people like Miss Vicky's chips? Oh, I got a good amen there. It's best response of the day so far. Has anybody tried the new ketchup chips? Oh, thank you, Lord. Wow. They're remarkable. I mean, could you be, ever be more proud to be Canadian? Uh, Miss Vicky's came out with ketchup chips. I hope they do all dress soon enough, too. But anyway... I don't know how you handle a bag of Miss Vicky's chips, but I'll tell you one of the things that I do. I open it up, hold it from the bottom, I look inside. What am I looking for? Curls. Curls. The most boring chip is just sort of like a plain straight chip in there, right? You're looking for curls. You're looking for the ones that have bubbles in it, right? And so you pull those out and you set them apart. What has happened to those chips? These are now, uh, to quote, uh, not Napoleon, who was it? Uh, No, no, oh, wrong movie. I I hadn't prepared this part, so that, uh, oh, what's the movie? Uh, Jack Black is in it, and he's in Nacho Libre. To quote Nacho Libre, these are the Lord's chips. (laughs) You know, all the other chips, they're fine too, but there's just something more more fine about the ones with the curls and the bumps or the double ones. I heard somebody talk about the double chips, right? You set them apart with delight, right? And when God says, be holy because I am holy, he's saying, get your mind around the right way of thinking about holiness. It's be set apart because I delight in you. Let's move to therefore number two. Chapter two. Therefore, so this is, again, helping to describe how we live differently in our world. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, so any kind of untruths, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Move with me to chapter 4, verse 1. Here's our next therefore. Therefore, since Christ suffered in this body, arm yourself also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in this body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live their, the rest of their lives, uh, uh, their earthly lives for their evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what 
pagans choose to do. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. You're getting a picture of what first century Turkey was like outside of the church. And Peter's addressing, saying, listen, I get it. Many of you came out of that environment and you're feeling lured back or there's temptations or you know, difficulty and whatever. And so he's describing for them, listen, you are different. You no longer belong to those destructive things. Listen, it's not just that God is wearing a really nice white robe and he's worried about you getting it dirty by doing something bad. He cares for your soul. And so when he lists things like this in scripture, he's not like, don't do that because it makes me dirty. He's saying, when you do it, it destroys you and I care for you. Verse four, this is interesting, I think, and it speaks to us. They, so those who do those things that you may have done those things with in the past, they think it strange when you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. So Peter is saying to us, hey, you're strangers, you're strangers, you're aliens, you're foreigners, you're exiles, you're different. You live different. But here he's also saying, guess what? You can't hide that. If you're hoping to hide that and still fit in, it's going to be difficult for you. People are going to notice and they're going to think you're strange. And for some of us in a room like this or online today, you're like, but I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't want people to think I'm strange. Listen, when Peter is acknowledging that you and I are strange, it's not this new like, card he's giving Christians to just go ahead and make it weird either. It's not like some of us like, okay, I'm strange, so I'm going to, because of my insecurities, I'm going to make it as strange as possible so I'm known for how strange I am. That's not what it's about. Don't make it weird. <laughs> We're already weird enough as it is. We don't need your help. But just acknowledge we are different from those who don't know Jesus yet. Aliens are strange. Chester and Timmons go on to say this. We have become strangers because we have become strange. Our values, our lifestyle, our priorities are radically different than the surrounding culture. Our faith makes us strangers in our own land. We do not fit in. We are on the margins. And then the authors go on to say this. The problem is that the desire for community with people can outgrow our desire for community with God. Being accepted by a friendship group or a business group or a community group or a school group or you could, or, 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 or. Or being respected by culture can matter more to us than God's opinion. The Bible calls this the fear of man. So I told you earlier that I think we need to accept that Canada is changing around us. And there's lots we can do about it. But we're not trying to reform Canada back to just etchings on a piece of paper or a building or words in an anthem. We're trying to reform Canada back to real lives that know Jesus. That's what it's about. 
We're taking the way of the cross. We're taking the way of our king who gets on his knees and washes filthy feet. That's how the kingdom comes. People are going to think that you are strange. We have to accept that Canada is changing. And the second thing we have to accept is that people are going to think you're weird. Again, don't make it weird. People are going to laugh at you. People are not going to understand the things that you do or the things that you don't do. How come you're not getting drunk? How come you didn't laugh at that joke? What's up with your pure sexual standards? Do you think you're better than us? Think about things like communion. I mean, we do weird stuff. We have this little tiny meal in our church service. You know, for, and I've met new followers of Christ who are like, what's everybody doing with shot glasses? <laughs> and why do we have such tiny, terrible pieces of bread? <clears throat> Couldn't we eat better than this? And, and we will one day, by the way. Um, but we do strange things. We eat this thing called communion, and we're actually reenacting drinking the blood of God. It's weird. It's different. People are going to think you're weird and strange. Think about baptism. We put hot tubs in our church. We have one right under the drum kit. Our family lived in this church for a few months, um, and we were quite tempted to take advantage of the hot tub. We weren't sure if that was sacrilegious or not, but... <clears throat> One of the things we do as Christians is we put them in a hot tub and we all watch them get in and go down and come up and they're wearing clothes and that's good, but it's weird. <clears throat> By the way, we are planning to do some baptisms soon. I'm so proud of Judah Roan. Is he up there today? Judah Roan let us know that he'd like to get baptized. And baptism is showing a demonstration of what you're trusting Jesus for. And people do that in front of their friends who don't know Jesus yet and they're like, this is weird. But that's, that matters to that person, and it captures their attention. So I'm proud of Judah Roan. Anybody else proud of him? <laughs> because you have decided to follow Jesus, some people will jump ahead immediately to radical extremes about you. And they'll be like, oh, okay. so you hate gays, right? Right? Or, oh, so... You hate women and women's rights and their you know, ability to make choices for the body, right? And they put these stuff words at you. They're like, no, it's not like that at all. This happens to us. Why? Because we're strangers in this world. Again, don't make it weird. Don't give them every opportunity to say that, but they will. You may even get mocked, made fun of by people. I want to show you something. This is a picture. This is from... Um, the Roman Empire in one of the first centuries. And this is graffiti. You know, graffiti happened back then too. I don't know how they got away with it because it would have been a pretty noisy act. You're like chiseling away on the side of a building somewhere. But somebody put some graffiti on a building and uh, in recent history it was discovered. And uh, on one side you can see what it looked like on the wall. The other side is a bit clearer depiction. And what you see there is a, a man looking up towards an individual, and it's hard to make out, but that's actually an individual on a cross with a donkey's head. And the inscription is, 
Alexander worships his God. And so in Rome, somebody had a coworker or a classmate or a neighbor named Alexander, and they're like, this guy's so weird. He drinks the little shot glasses of blood and little bread, and he dunks his friends in the hot tub. And his, his God was killed on a cross. What an idiot. People are going to think you're strange, too. So what do we do when we're laughed at? What do we do when we're mocked? What do we do when we're misunderstood? What do you do in the face of unfair assumptions thrust at you? What do we do? And Peter sends this letter. I want you to read this with me. This was the summary statement I gave you last week. First Peter is written so that strangers could withstand the surrounding pressures of culture and society and politics by winning the respect of those who don't know Jesus yet, by insisting on continually doing very good things together in everyday life to enemies and the receptive alike. That's First Peter. Withstand by witness. If you're mocked at Vanier or Isfelt or Highland or your job site, or your neighborhood, insist on doing very good things to those people. We're going to read it over and over again. I hope that you'll read First Peter again this week and you'll see some of the stuff beginning to leap off the pages. It's so tempting for us to want to like find all the data and stats and things that we can hurl back at these people to make them feel terrible. But Peter never says do that. He's like, live really great lives among these people. Who's going to persecute you if you keep doing good? But even if they do, keep doing good. Why? Because it's the way of Jesus. Not because it's like, well, let's just Try to keep our holiness all polished and happy looking. Fake it till you make it. No, 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 no. It's us following in the way of our master. On our knees. On our own cross. With the resurrected lives that he gives us. Let's go to the fourth, therefore. Move to chapter four. We're still in chapter four. Go to verse seven. But halfway through it, again, therefore... Be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Verse 8, this is so important. Here's why this therefore is there. Above all, love each other deeply. Peter echoes the same words he uses earlier in his writing where he says, love one another deeply from the heart. The most important difference in your life and mine from the world is the way that we love each other and the way that we love them. told you about Miss Vicky's before. How many people played Lego? How many grown men here still have some Lego around that you buy for your sons or your daughters, but you still play with it yourself? Me too. <laughs> Man, I've got so many great memories of, of playing Lego when I was a young kid. I don't know if anybody can identify with how I worked. I had these big bins of Lego, and I'd be hunting for a particular piece for whatever I was building and creating. And along the way, I would find a rare find. You know, one of those pieces where you're like, oh, that's always so hard to find when I need it. You know those ones? So what did I do? I took it out and I set it apart. I set it apart. What happened? It became holy Lego. And 
if I had hours of Lego playing going on, it, and it kind of bugged my mom sometimes because she's like, no, it's all supposed to be in the bin and I'd have this massive mound of holy Lego over here. But it's like, this is the really good stuff that's so hard to find. It was set apart, not just with delight. Holiness means to be set apart with specific purpose. Not only do we have different lives, number one, because we're aliens, number two, we have a different purpose in this world. You have a different purpose from people who don't know Jesus yet. Your purpose is different. Your purpose is not about you. Your purpose is about Jesus. Your purpose is about others. And friends, that stands in stark contrast to what's going on in our world today. Everybody's living for number one. Except who? Those who follow the way of Jesus. He's the one who gets on his knees to wash feet, who gets on a cross to die for others, and who is raised from the tomb. In chapter 1, verse 1, and chapter 1, verse 12, a Greek word is used to describe Peter's title and then a work of the Holy Spirit. The Greek word is apostello. Apostello. It sounds like apostle, right? Apostle isn't just some sort of fancy word for uh, early church leaders. Apostle meant sent. And yes, Peter had that sort of fancy early church leader designation, but he was also sent. And in verse 12, chapter 1, verse 12, it says that the Holy Spirit was apostello to the earth for you and I. The Holy Spirit was sent. Some of you maybe remember an old Christian song about the Father sent the Son, the Son sent the Spirit, and the Spirit sends the church, sends you and I. And so you and I have to face this apostello reality about ourselves. The interesting thing about the word apostello is that it existed before the church started using it. It wasn't like this Christian invention, like Jesus one day said, you are apostellos, and then everybody's like, whoa, what's this new word? But it's them, and it's sent, and that's so cool. No, he was using a word that was already understood in the Greek and the Roman day. When Rome would take new lands, they would send boatloads of people to wherever the new land that they had taken was, and on that ship, they would put culture shapers, doctors, nurses, tradespeople, architects, scientists, educators. Why? Because they wanted it to be in the new land. Let's say it was Cappadocia. They wanted it to be in Cappadocia as it was in Rome, so that if, if the emperor ever visited Cappadocia, he'd feel like, this is Rome. They would apostello that group to Cappadocia. So, interesting word usage by Jesus, by Peter, and the New Testament. You and I are apostello by God into this world. We are sent to influence the world in which we find ourselves living in. Why? So that it'll be on earth as it is in heaven, so that when the king comes... Like, oh, it's, it's becoming like heaven here. That's God's heart and his goal, is for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what Jesus was all about, and that's what he apostelloed the church to be all about. And the way that we get to do it, on our knees, on a cross, and with a resurrected life, the same way our master did. You and I have been sent. I had a great time connecting with a gentleman from our church named 
Bill Crowder this week, and we were just talking about the influence that they've had in their neighborhood through the years. He loves baking, and everybody has different kind of gifts and abilities and talents and all that, and he, I've had some of his bread, it's fantastic. And we were just chatting about different people in his neighborhood and things that they've done to be intentional about feeling connected to people in their neighborhood. And he said that there's some teenagers in his neighborhood, and I know that there's a lot of teenagers in neighborhoods can get a bad rap. One of them put a rock through my canopy door on my truck recently in our neighborhood, but I still love those teenagers. And anyways, Bill said, you know, I decided I, I baked some pretzels. I made pretzels, and I, I give them to teenagers in my neighborhood. Um, and he has relationship with them and with their parents. It's not this sort of weird thing like, hey, you want a pretzel? <laughs> <laughs> Like, he's well-known, he's got credibility, he's loved, appreciated. No parents are like, there's a guy giving pretzels. You know, it's all good. So he gives them pretzels. They love it. They love him. He's walking down the street one day, and he said, there's one neighbor, he's a little bit of, he's an older guy, quite a grouchy guy. He said, what do you got in your bag there? He said, uh, I got pretzels. <laughs> you know, what do you say when you have a bag of pretzels and you're going to give it to teenagers? He said, you got pretzels. He said, and the guy says, you know, I lived in Germany for a bunch of years. I sure loved fresh pretzels. And he said, well, you know, so Bill says, turns out I have an extra one here. I'll give you one. He gives it to him. And the guy just softened and contacted him and relationships started forming. And I just loved the way that Bill thinks that he can use giftings in his neighborhood to help build relationships, build friendships so that over time, friends, it's not about pretzels. It's about having opportunities to get on your knees and bring healing to some of the darkest, most difficult places of somebody's life. It's about you taking a cruciform approach to loving your neighborhood, your workplace, your school as well. I want you to think with me about Jesus himself. The only reason you and I have any hope of being strangers effectively in our world is because Jesus was the first real alien, right? You know, he's like us, but he's otherworldly, and he came to bring hope and help to our lives. And if you're in this room today or online today, and you're aware of your need for help, join the family. We need a savior, and that's, that's what our God is like. He's not one that stands afar off and watches people in their misery and does nothing. He gets near. He gets close. He serves. He gives his life. He loves. That love is for you today. And that love is for me today. I want us to respond together in worship. And then after we've done that, I'm going to share just what we're hoping people will do in their coffee clubs this week. So could we stand? And... Um, we're gonna mix it up. Can we do the new song again? Yes. There was some lines in that new song. I know Laura really, really struggled to get it started, so hopefully it'll go better this time. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> I will not sing. That was very good. There was some lines in it. I don't know, uh, Alexis, if you can find it for me, but I will see your goodness in the land I'm living in. It's the chorus. Great. I will see your goodness, Lord, in the land I'm living in. 
We happen to live in a land right now that's called Canada. It happens to have had a Christian heritage and background. It happens now to be post-Christian and secular. But you know what? I'm going to see his goodness in this land that I'm living in. In your neighborhood, you're going to see his goodness in that land. If you're in a dark season of life, you're going to see his goodness in that land. It has nothing to do with anything that we can assert or politically force upon our people or our land. It has everything to do with you and I getting on our knees, taking a cruciform shape into our world as well, and loving, broken, hurting, difficult, annoying people. So let's celebrate that God in his kindness loved us as annoying and difficult as we've been, hey? So let's learn this song together and celebrate together. We're gonna start on the verse there, Alexis. I believe in the blood of Jesus that washes white as snow. I believe in the power of the gospel still makes the broken whole. I believe that the glass of sin was broken when they rolled away that stone. No matter where I've been, I will see. 
I want to um, just invite again, I know I did this recently and I don't give prep to it, but Vaughn, Lisa, Calvin, Claire, at least, maybe Chris, if you guys could just make yourselves available up at the front here. Maybe somebody needs specific prayer today for just something that stirred in your heart during our time together. Maybe something else is just, oh, I'd just love to receive prayer. These people would be so glad to pray with you today. I want to pray specifically for a couple things as we close here. Number one, just a real honest moment. When I was driving my boys, I, I was talking about, sorry, I don't mean to get emotional. I was talking about the heart of First Peter, and I was thinking about how challenging it is for them in, in their world and their age and public schools and all that. I'm like, it's hard. Isn't it hard to be stranger, to be a stranger? And then I shared a little bit about how I feel worried, too, about like, well, I don't want a neighbor mocking me. But I want us to pray that we need to accept that we're strangers, but there's a spirit grace for us to actually live that out well, not in a weird way, but in a transformative way. How many of you would say, I'm uncomfortable with being a stranger, but I want the spirit power to live it out in, an, in a transformative way in, in, in my mission field. Would you hold up your hands? Father, we are entering your world on your mission. And some of us, we're just, we're, we're repenting in this moment for an obsession to try to be accepted, to try to fit in. And if that's me, if that's anybody here, we acknowledge that before you, God. And now we ask for your Spirit's power to change the way that we look at life in this world. Thank you for the gift of each other. At least we're strangers together. And at least we're empowered by your Spirit. And Jesus, we need your grace, we need the anointing of the Spirit to bow our knee, to wash feet, to live a cruciform life of love in this world. We declare our dependence upon you today in the strong name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. I hope everybody has a wonderful, wonderful week. Tasty Sunday is next Sunday. Special offering is next Sunday. Please pray about how you will participate in that as well. Have a great week. Hang out with some people on your way out. If you need prayer today, we'd love to pray for you. Any of these people would be so glad to. Thanks again for listening to today's message. We hope that it encouraged you as you live out your faith in everyday life. Make sure to download our church app by typing Comox Pentecostal into Google Play or the App Store to enjoy more podcasts, Bible resources, giving options, and more. 